0: This is Old Testament Premium Podcast number 31, Joab, Absalom, Adonijah. Greetings from Georgia. I've just driven back from Orlando. There was a conference of around 1,500 people. I was promoting books and talking and fellowshipping, and it's been quite a a great reunion with many friends. But this is a a triple study. We're not just examining one biblical character. We did uh, previously look at David. But all three characters are members of David's family. Joab, first, we will examine, is a very capable but not very spiritual general over the army. He is David's nephew. David had a sister who had three sons. Her sons were Abishai, Asahel, and Joab. And you read about these. And actually, they're very important in the account in 2 Samuel. The second one we'll look at is Absalom, who is David's son who led a coup. Uh, I mean, it was really an effective coup d'etat, at least for a short period of time before his plans were foiled. And then the third and final character we will examine is Adonijah. Um, That's another one of David's sons. One of the important lessons of uh, Scripture is that God forgives. There is grace. Another important lesson, though, is that there are consequences to sin. Even if sin is forgiven, that doesn't mean that the penalties are thereby somehow circumvented. Uh, Some people say God forgets our sin when he forgives. That's simply a metaphor. He doesn't forget, he will forgive, but the consequences still come. So there's no, no magic way to wipe the slate clean if that means that we're going to avoid responsibility or consequences. The slate is wiped clean in our salvation, in our standing before God. Well, this is a very painful lesson uh, for all of us, for me, I'm sure for you listening to this, and certainly for David. Second Samuel 12.10 So now the sword will never depart from your house, for you have despised me by taking the wife of Uriah the Hittite as your own, This is what the Lord says. I'm about to bring disaster on you from inside your own household. Those are the words of Nathan rebuking David after the affair with Bathsheba and the killing of her husband Uriah. David had many enemies. Certainly before he was established as king, he had the house of Saul going after him. He had Saul himself, whom he was serving, throwing spears at him. He had enemies from within the, the, the family of God and from from without. The Philistines for example. But here, as a result of his sin, the Lord says I'm going to bring disaster on you from inside your own household. Oh, and in no family uh, is this uh, so developed and played out as in the family of David. I mean, possibly the family of Abraham rivals. When we look at the the four generations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and look at all the stuff that's going on. Uh, but in the case of David, uh, there's so, so much source material. Now, before I begin the individual studies, let me just tell you what their names are, uh, the, the Hebrew names. Joab is Yoav, and Yoav is the Lord, his father. Absalom is Avi Shalom, my father is Peace. Adonijah is Adonijah. Adonijah is my Lord is Yahweh. That is the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. So we have Joab, Abishalom, Adonijah. The Lord is Father, the Father, my Father is Peace, and my Lord is Yahweh. But we'll see that these are not really very spiritual people at all, despite their names. You know, we can talk the talk, but do we walk the walk? I've chosen them because they're all very interesting characters. They all fit in the time period of David, so I think it's a a good subject for a podcast. And it it creates quite a backdrop against which to study further characters, even Solomon, who was a righteous king, at least in the first part of his reign, who comes next. Well, let's talk about Joab. Capable, but not particularly spiritual. In 2 Samuel 2, he agrees to the contest by the pool, or the men of Judah the young men uh, and the men of Israel square off each grabs his opponent by the beard thrusts the sword they all die this leads to a pursuit civil war it, this is not a good situation and uh, why Joab agreed to that we don't know but it seemed like a good idea at the time Abner tries to make peace with David and he wants to bring all of Israel under David's rule because for a while, uh, David was the king in the south. He was uh, reigning in, uh, in Hebron, but much of Israel, that is the northern part of Israel, which is also called Israel, did not follow him. They followed the house of Saul. So Abner tries to make peace. Well, in, this, um, in the chase, the pursuit after the battle at the pool, uh, there is a, a, a killing and it's reluctantly Abner, who was more experienced than Asahel, Joab's brother, uh, extends the the butt of his spear and and it kills it kills Abner. So to uh, to to take uh, revenge, which was considered a matter of honor, Joab uh, treacherously murders Abner. Second Samuel three twenty one. Uh, Abner says, "I will rise and go and gather all Israel and so forth," and then. When Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him inside, uh, aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there, he smote him in the belly. So that he died for the blood of Esahel, his brother. So he pretends to be conversing. Very similar to the incident in the book of Judges, where Ehud deceives Eglon. The problem with this is, of course, first it's revenge. But secondly, Abner was a better man than Joab. And David never forgot this. He immediately denounces uh, this uh, uh, killing, this assassination. It was an act of political treachery. It threatened the reunion of Israel. It threatened to, to reignite civil war. And David says in 2 Samuel 3.28, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner." May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. And it's a, quite a colorful curse we have here. So Abra- um, Abraham, David distances himself but it seems that his denunciation may be more political than we realize at first. He rebukes Joab but after he has secured kingship over all of Israel he promotes Joab to commander-in-chief. Now, that's in 2 Samuel 8. Let me add one more thing about this as we build up the character of Joab. He was courageous. He may have been treacherous, but he was brave. Whoever was going to take Jerusalem would have to dislodge the Jebusites in some ingenious way because they had their own water supply and it was very well fortified. In 2 Samuel 5, we read about the water shaft. And there is a a shaft... Well, there's a Hezekiah's tunnel, which goes horizontally. There's a, there's a water shaft that goes upward or more diagonally. Uh, you, you can go into it. It's, it's open to the public. But we would have to look at the parallel account in 1 Chronicles to see exactly what's going on. Often we supplement the material in Samuel and Kings with the material in Chronicles. In fact, you could call Chronicles supplements, the, the, uh, the term supplements or even leftovers, is appropriate 1st uh, 1 Chronicles 11.6 David says whoever leads the attack on the Jebusites will be commander in chief and Joab is the one who takes up the, the challenge so he gets access through the water shaft and so he earns his position in a way kind of like the way David uh, earned the daughter of Saul uh, you know the price was uh, 100 Philistine foreskins at least that was the original price so Joab earns it on the other hand the fact that David would promote a man who had, uh, had committed such an act of treachery and, and I think apparently had very little conscience uh, it does not speak well of David. And I think the way I, exp- uh, way I can make sense of this is David was very impressed with him. Sometimes I, I read about people. Oh, sometimes I meet people who are not very spiritual, but there's something I very much admire about them. Maybe they're calm. Maybe they're smart, or maybe they're very, very athletic. And so, I I don't think clearly at the moment. At any rate, Joab was promoted. So he takes Jerusalem in the Ammonite War um, in 2 Samuel 10. Uh, he's the general. This man is a military figure. But in 2 Samuel 11, when David is covering up his sin, if you'll remember, the instructions were hand-delivered by Uriah to Joab, and the letter said basically, "Make sure he dies." Joab complies. He's like a hitman; he's very calculated. Here, you want it done clean? You want it done dirty? I mean, I think he would have done whatever David asked him to do. Uh, and uh, Uriah is is killed, and then, of course, David uh, takes Bathsheba, that is his former. Wife to be his wife. Well, Joab also works it out for Absalom to be brought to Jerusalem in chapter 14. This is after the rebellion. We'll read about that soon. He works it out for him to come, but then he ignores him, and <laughs> Absalom sets fire to his fields, and eventually, you know, he, you know, Absalom meets David. But then after the rebellion, Joab kills Absalom, chapter 18, despite the explicit instruction of David. He kills Absalom who had got caught in the tree. He chides David on his emotion expressed to Absalom. That is, uh, in chapter 19, when the troops are coming back after this revolt, David is uh, very cut up. And Joab rightly perceives that this can severely hurt morale. You can read about that in 2 uh, second, uh, uh, second Samuel 19, verse 5 and following. In other words, David seems to care a lot more about Absalom than he does about the troops. Well, actually, I think that's true. He probably did. Uh, and Joab sees Joab's very shrewd. He also kills um, Amasa, and this this reminds me of the, the situation with Abner. And let me read from Second uh, Samuel uh, twenty verses eight and nine, uh, verses nine and ten, verses eight to ten. <laughs> Sorry. Joab said to Amasa, "How are you, my brother?" Then Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. Amasa was not on his guard against the dagger in Joab's hand. And Joab plunged it into his belly and his intestines spilled out on the ground. Without being stabbed again, Amasa died. Well, here's another assassination. It's a deception. It's like the execution of Abner. And it does again remind us of Ehud and Eglon back in the book of Judges. So this is... um, it's a, it's a terrible thing. I mean, it, it's a murder. And so, again, we see the lack of conscience. But again, we see the shrewdness. When David orders the census, and this is in Second Samuel 24, and, you know, the censuses in the Old Testament were military. It was really to take stock to see, see how big your army is. And Joab knows it will be unpopular. And he opposes it. Well, why would it be unpopular? Well, one reason is because when censuses were taken people had to pay uh, a tax uh, Exodus chapter 30 commands that so it's not popular because it's a in a way it's raising taxes whether you, it's an increase or it's a collection they are raising taxes as they go through Israel and he opposes it so again intelligence but not as much as intelligence as he needed because when Adonijah later proclaims himself king 1 Kings chapter 1 Joab is on his side he doesn't back Solomon he backs Adonijah. He comes to his end when Solomon has him killed by uh, Benaiah. Benaiah is his successor. Now, this was not technically an execution order from David. Joab was killed when he backed Adonijah against Solomon. God had already said Solomon would be the king. Let me read from 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 32. The Lord will repay him for the blood he shed. Because without the knowledge of my father David, he attacked two men and killed them with the sword. Both of them, Abner son of Ner, commander of Israel's army, and Amasa son of Jether, commander of Judah's army, were better men and more upright than he. And so, Joab comes to an end. He figures prominently in these books of the Bible. He has the intelligence, but not quite the conscience to match. He's extremely capable and perhaps that's why he stays in control for so long now the second of our three unsavory characters is Absalom he's born second samuel 3 and we read nothing about him until the incident with Amnon and Tamar after david's sin triggers a well it's really a a, a cataract of family problems second samuel 13 and again, it happens very quickly. She shows the rape of Tamar. Tamar is one of David's daughters. And he's raped by Amnon, who's one of David's sons. Well, Absalom is, uh, is, is more closely related to Tamar. And so he, by treachery, has Amnon killed. Eventually, he's, he's, uh, he runs away. He's uh, in exile, so to speak. He contrives to return to Jerusalem, and he, he does come to Jerusalem, chapter 14. We see that he's physically handsome. And again, all these notes, I know sometimes I, I refer to many scriptures. You, you'll find uh, the references in, the, in the, the, the sheet, not the sheet, but the paper that comes with, with all of these podcasts. Just go, to the, um, go go back to the webpage. And he's physically handsome. He has David's face. Absalom's face is handsome it's the same word they both he's inherited the let's say the, the physical characteristics of David, but not the spiritual characteristics because whereas they both sinned seriously egregiously. David was willing to repent. Absalom did not Absalom has three sons and a daughter his daughter is Tamar, I guess we might say Tamar, but Tamar is clearly named after his sister, the sister who was raped. So Absalom has not forgotten. And uh, like Joab, uh, he, he keeps his, uh, uh, his vendetta here. When he comes back to Jerusalem, through the complicity of Joab, the arrangement of Joab, he's isolated. For two years he doesn't see David. And finally, finally he, he comes and sees him. David doesn't deal with them. This is one of the characteristics of men in the Bible and sometimes us fathers today where, where things happen among our family members or in our circle of friends or even people in church and we don't always address it and David lets things slide and the ultimate result as we know is, um, is a, a conspiracy 2 Samuel 15 1, and now I'm in the Christian Standard Bible after this Absalom got himself a chariot horses and 50 men to run before him he would get up early and stand beside the road leading to the city gate whenever anyone had a grievance to bring before the king for settlement Absalom called out to him and asked what city are you from if he replied your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel Absalom said to him look your claims are good and right but the king does not have anyone to listen to you he added, if only someone would appoint me judge in the land, then anyone who had a grievance or dispute would come to me, and I would make sure he received justice. So he's positioning himself. He's, he's uh, yeah, It's such an easy thing to do, to point out the, the faults in those who are in leadership and suggest that we would do so much better a job. And uh, people listen to that. They listen to it. And then we also read, when a person approached to bow down to him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom did this to all the Israelites who came to the king for a settlement. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And when four years had passed, Absalom basically makes his move. So you've got a guy who's a smooth talker, who's good looking, he has long flowing hair as we know. And he says just the right words. He's really campaigning. And uh, he's very influential. And ultimately, it reaches a critical point. David and his administration have to flee Jerusalem. Absalom comes in. Ultimately, his plans are undermined by the advice of Hushai the Archite. Hushai, another interesting character in uh, 2 Samuel. That's in chapter 17. And... uh, Absalom isn't so bright uh, that he takes the right advice. He rejects the correct advice of Achitophel and follows the advice of Hushai. And so he dies in battle in this, uh, this fight for the throne. Well, he sees the throne and now he's trying to eliminate his chief threat to the throne, which is his own father. Imagine the pain of having a son you love who turns against you. Not only turns against you, and takes the king, takes the throne, which David was willing to let go. But now he's trying to kill you. He dies in battle, though not gloriously. He is lifted up, literally, but not exalted as he had wished, because he was on his mount, and he goes in the forest, and his head gets caught in an oak tree. And the animal keeps on walking, and he's suspended there. That's in chapter 18. When David hears the news, he's devastated. My son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Absalom, my son, my son. And his plaintive cry sounds even more doleful when you read it in Hebrew. And these are the words that Joab criticizes. Well, David's mourning is a bit too public because technically his troops have been victorious. And David shows his love for his son is greater than that of his love, uh, his love for the army. And so Absalom comes to his end. It's not glorious. The third character, and we'll look at him quite briefly, is Adonijah, another one of David's sons. We'll read about his birth in Second Samuel 3. And he has a conspiracy. Solomon is younger. Adonijah is the older brother. And finally, after David dies, Adonijah proclaims himself king. I'll read in First Kings chapter 1, verse 5. Now Adonijah, son of David and Haggit, was promoting himself, boasting, I will be king. He managed to acquire chariots and horsemen as well as 50 men to serve as his royal guard. Now his father had never corrected him by saying, why do you do such things? He was also very handsome and had been born right after Absalom. He collaborated with Joab, son of Zariah, and with Abiatar, the priest, and they supported him. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and David's elite warriors did not ally themselves with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fattened steers at the stone of Zohelet near An-Rogel. He invited all his brothers, the king's sons, as well as all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, the elite warriors, or his brother Solomon. Surprise! I mean, he didn't invite Solomon, who was the rightful king. He didn't invite him to uh, to his coronation. <laughs> uh, well, what happens? Uh, Solomon's merciful. He's merciful towards his brother Adonijah, and Adonijah's life is spared, but only on the condition that he be a worthy man, and basically. What that means is not challenge the throne again. Well, as we know, he schemes for power, he schemes for position once more in chapter two. So even though he had been spared, you know, he had he had run and, and fled and, and grabbed onto the horns of the altar, and and Solomon had basically said if he's a loyal subject not a hair of his head will be harmed but if he's found to be a traitor he will die and, and, and Adonai even bows down he bows down to King Solomon and Solomon tells him to go home despite this act of grace he schemes for power again and it's not so obvious it certainly wasn't obvious to me the first few times I read First Kings but it's this unusual request which he relays through Bathsheba so let us read in 1 Kings chapter 2. Haggit's son Adonijah visited Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. And she asked, do you come in peace? He answered, yes. He added, I have something to say to you. She replied, speak. He said, you know that the kingdom was mine, and all Israel considered me king. <laughs> By the way, that's really not quite right. But he's, he's living in the past. It was all mine. But then the kingdom was given to my brother, for the Lord decided it should be his. Now, I'd like to ask you for just one thing. Please don't refuse me. She said, go ahead and ask. He said, please ask King Solomon if he would give me Abishag the Shunammite as a wife, for he won't refuse you. King Solomon answers his mother, why just request Abishag the Shunammite for him? Since he is my older brother, you should also request the kingdom for him for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab, son of Zeruiah, King Solomon then swore an oath, by the Lord, may God judge me severely, if Adonijah does not pay for this request with his life. Well, it's not obvious. What, he's asking for a wife. Abishag, we know, was very beautiful. She was the virgin who kept David warm in his, uh, final, the final period of his life, 1 Kings 1. But, but by asking uh, to have Abishag as his wife, He's making an implicit claim to the throne. He's connecting himself even more strongly with his father, particularly because he is the older son. And often in the Bible, the older is not the one who's blessed. It's the younger. And and so this is a political move, and he pays with his life. And thus we see that uh, David's sons are, are dead. He's lost his son Amnon, who was killed by Absalom, after raping Tamar he's lost uh, Avishalom or Absalom he's lost uh, Adonijah as well well David's already dead when, he, when Adonijah passes on but just to, to think that in David's own family three of his sons uh, paid for their sin with their lives is just a, a small part of the painful legacy uh, that sin leaves us when we do wrong Let's sum up. Joab was a great man, great in military prowess, and also great in personal revenge. But he was not a spiritual man. We respect him, but we do not like him. Absalom, he was political. He was smooth. He was likable. Yet he too gives in to revenge. We like him, but we don't respect him. Kind of the opposite of Joab. We respect Joab, we don't like him very much. Absalom is very likable, but it's hard to respect. And then Adonijah, who's really an opportunist. And he's not the brightest of David's sons. Twice he plots for the throne, grossly miscalculating. Well, let's end as normal with some of the lessons that we are to learn about God. And there are two that I would like to emphasize before we close. Number one, God has placed us in a moral world. That means that our sin has ripple effects. Our sin affects large numbers of those with whom we are connected. And it begins in our own household, begins in our own family, and it spreads out from there. And why is this? Because God has placed us in a moral world. Secondly, God's choice of leader is often the one we would least expect. I mean, think of David, the youngest of his brothers. Solomon was chosen. I mean, in one sense, he shouldn't even have been born. He's born because David marries Bathsheba. And that happens because David murders her husband, Uriah. Solomon is the younger brother anyway. Adonijah is the older brother. Well, but God's providence overrides human sin. This point is that God's choice of leader is often the one we would least expect. There are many examples where the younger is promoted over the older. From Genesis on, it's a common theme. Consider, for example, how often God gives the blessing, or the patriarch gives his blessing not to the firstborn, but to a younger brother. Next time, we're going to look at Solomon. Solomon. This time, we looked at Joab, Absalom, and the Niger. I encourage you in your personal study to continue to compare and contrast and understand the effects of sin and righteousness throughout every generation of God's people.